0: Welcome to the Production Talk podcast with me, Jan of mixartist.com.au. In this podcast series, we celebrate the modern way of producing music. We want to talk about all things related to songwriting, recording at home and music production. So if you produce your music at home, this is the place to be. Please subscribe and recommend this podcast to all your friends. This is the Production Talk podcast, episode
1: 73.
0: Welcome back to another episode of the Production Talk podcast. At the beginning of this episode, as always, I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the country that we are recording this interview on today, the Arakwal people of the Bundjalung nation. And I would like to express my respect to the elders past, present and emerging. With me today is Mr. Thomas Garnett of 301 Studios in Sydney. Tom is a long-term staff engineer and he recently was mentioned as the mix engineer on uh, Barca's ARIA Award-nominated song. Welcome to the show. It's great to have you.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: I had to listen to the song and it sounded fantastic. <laughs> Tom, it's been a long time. Uh, we've crossed path, i want to say six to eight years ago yep. in the northern rivers and then we just uh, ran into each other a couple of weeks ago at uh, studio 301's uh, producers and engineers barbecue which was part of the aria week yeah and it was really great to meet you so i'm just dying to find out what has happened in the meantime so maybe just want to start with the beginning of your career talk me through the milestones and tell me what you're doing now
1: Oh, wow. Such a big question. Uh, uh, <laughs> Start at the beginning. Yeah, well, I guess like most engineers, I was a musician or I wanted to be a musician. And I was sort of, I left school and wanted to get some gigs. And me and my buddy who I played with, we couldn't get any gigs because we asked to play places. And they said, we want to hear you, what you sound like. And we were like, how do we do that? And then so we... Mm. we figured out you have to go to a recording studio and then we figured out that was too expensive so I decided, well, I'm just going to it can't be that hard, I'm just going to do it myself so I bought like a I mean, it was before I figured out DAWs and computers and I I bought like a boss recording system that had like six, eight channels or something and I started making demos and I really thought that was fun and before I knew it, I was enrolled at SAE, Byron Bay and I didn't go to class very much but I booked the studios more than probably anybody there so and then uh, which was really handy because after I finished my degree I applied for internships to pretty much every studio including Studios 301 who I didn't get a call back from but I got an internship at another studio which ended up being really cool and probably in some ways a lot better because it, uh, it was the old 301 Castro Street so the original 301 Castro Street at 301 Castro Street, which was called Rec Studios. And the two guys there were legends and they're good friends of mine. And um, it wasn't like run like 301. It was sort of musician. There was a musicians run by, it was a studio of musicians run by musicians and a little bit more ad hoc, a little bit more crazy, but it was in the city. So anytime big artists would book and they didn't want to, get a cab to 301 they would come to the studio so I got to work with some really big name clients really straight away and I mean actually one interesting thing was almost a classic story my first day of interning I um, I got there I immediately, I was really nervous and scared, I grabbed the vacuum because I was like I'm going to be cleaning I'm going to be scrubbing toilets and, and the guy, the owner and one of the head engineers said Hey, what are you doing? You don't have to do that. I need your help. <laughs> and it just happened that their engineer, <laughs> their engineer, left that day for some reason. I'm not sure if there was a, a miscommunication or and there was no engineer on the session. And they had an SSL console and Pro Tools. Yeah, right. And the studio owner Ross was he was playing drums on the session. And then the the artist uh was playing guitar and singing, and they didn't have anyone to run. He was like, Can you run tools? And I was like, Yeah, I can do that. He's like, Can you use the SSL? I was like, Yeah, I can do that. And I ran the session and then, I mean, there was a bunch of other interns there. Some of them had been there a lot longer than me, but it instantly catapulted me to sort of the, the favorite position, I think. Well, I, I like to think so, but. Wow. So. Um, okay. Yeah. Did you have any experience uh, on SSLs
0: before? Because they're not easy consoles to operate.
1: Yeah. So luckily at SAE Byron, they had the SSL G when I was there and the SSL K. So I was pretty across it. And they had an SSL E series at uh, uh,
0: Rec Studios. Yeah, which is very similar to the G. Yeah, so it was like
1: being back at school.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Okay. <laughs> well, that's really good. Uh, and and about what year was that? How, how long ago?
1: Uh, that was in 2014. I think was when yeah, I started right. at that studio. So literally January. I I, I remember I the the new year started and I moved to Sydney. I I was from the Gold Coast. I moved to Sydney to do this internship and um yeah just. I took all my stuff and just moved down there. I, I didn't have many, many friends or I just wanted to work and I, I had no plan B. I was just, I'm going to become a studio engineer. Um, wow. And yeah, that's kind of how I started. I also had a, another gig at another studio called Albert's, which was a, like the rock and roll Hall of Fame. I had my band had recorded there and I, I sort of was like this assistant there for a bit as well. With a, another guy, and um, did a lot of cool stuff there as well, including tape transfers and a lot of cool sessions. And so I, I was r- really lucky. Um, I mean, you have to make your own luck. I, I kind of made my own luck, but when I got those opportunities, I I was well prepared and I worked really hard. And you were ready. So I didn't. I I wasn't going out and socializing too much. I was just coming to the studio every single day, whether it was my intern shift or not, and trying to be helpful and just and you know, I'd clean the floors and do whatever or if they needed help on mm. sessions I would help them and I think that I think that made a big difference cuz some some people do internships and they they just want to play their beats on the speakers and they don't care about what the patch bay does and stuff like that and but yeah that's kind of how I got my foot in the door okay and
0: uh how did you move from being an assistant uh, to being actual staff engineer how how long did it take you to to take on this title
1: uh probably about a year i think i mean at this that's quick yeah it was quick because i mean at 301 it would probably take a bit longer and and probably be harder Um, but at this studio because the two the two guys who ran it were musicians and they had other interests like one of them is an artist manager and ross is a drummer and they didn't want to do the engineering at the studio so much, and they kind of got a little bit sick of it. So they would start passing me the gigs they didn't want to do, and before long, I see those gigs just got bigger and bigger, and they they wanted to do less and less. And I was the I was the most capable of the interns because they had a bunch of other um, interns, but they they weren't trusted to run sessions, and I just I, I'd been in positions where I'd proven that I could do it. And, um, so they just started giving me more and more sessions, and then it wasn't like officially like, "Hey, you're an engineer now it was just kind of I was just doing sessions, and it happened, yeah, and it just kind of happened like that and
0: and uh, for how long were you there?
1: I was at rec for three or four years, okay I was also working at Albert's, but Albert's closed down mm. and then rec uh it got to the point at rec where I got busy with my own stuff because i'd been doing so many things and i got my own room in the same complex and i just didn't want to do everyone who came through the door anymore i was i was getting a little burnt out, to be honest i was just i worked so much and it was it was invaluable experience like I, I literally working there for three years was like working in another studio for six i always tell other people because yeah right um those guys didn't have the budget to fix stuff. It was an old building. It was the old three hundred one, and before that was Capital. So mm. all the wiring was old. The, the console was was break was breaking and didn't work very well. And and they just didn't have the budget to fix it. They, we had techs come in, but and so just getting things to work there sometimes was was a real challenge. And sometimes we'd have big bands with like eleven people. I remember, and there'd be a, an engineer that came from Melbourne. And it was like I had to get everything to work, and it was a real challenge. And I, I just you do fourteen to sixteen-hour days or more sometimes. And if you do enough of those in a week, over and over, and you just you just get burnt out. And eventually, I was a little bit burnt out, and I didn't want to do the. There was kind of too much work there for one engineer, but not enough for two. <laughs> I see. So yeah. we couldn't get mm. we couldn't get somebody else to come. Um, and Philly, and so eventually, I kind of passed the torch to one of the the other guys who used to assist me, and um, who then ended up becoming a three hundred one engineer as well. And and then, unfortunately, rec closed down because they sold the building. So they, those guys did really well to to run a really cool facility for so long and keep the keep carrying the torch of that building. I don't know if anyone listening knows, but the original three hundred one was. At three hundred and one Castle Street, where this studio rec was, and it was the—I think it was Capitol or EMI—and like David Bowie did an album there, and you know, heaps of famous from the sixties and seventies, heaps of people recorded there. Like, it's unbelievable. So, um, it was a real honour to, to be even to be able to work in that building. So, I'm really grateful that I got a got a shot there. And yeah, nice. That's a piece of history. Yeah. A piece of history. Lovely.
0: Yeah. 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 Cool. And uh, yeah,
1: tell us about the next steps of of your career. Uh, Well, then next, I, I had my room down the hall and I was just doing lots of mixing and that's kind of when I really fell in love with mixing. And, you know, I'd record someone and do the mix and people just started booking me for mixing. And I was sending all of my mixes to 301 for mastering. And I think I sent like, I don't know, 20 or something songs in a month and they were like who's this Tom guy we should meet him so a few of the 301 team called me up and said let's have some beers and they came over and we got really drunk and <laughs> I got to know him. and then really luckily for me a few of the mastering engineers at 301 like Steve Smart and Andrew Edson they kind of I mean, they put in a good word for me to Ron who's who runs 301 and they, they said you need to get Tom like he's really good and I mean I'd I don't know why they think that. <laughs> oh, you earned that. <laughs> and um, Ron, he he, uh, he hit me up and said, "Do you want to come and do some stuff for us?" And I said yes. And there was just at the time when Three Hundred One was changing the building to the to the new facility, and mm, um, yeah, I think they'd had some stuff. a Big move, yeah. and they'd lost some staff because of the close down. And when they were opening back up, they needed staff back, and some of those old staff had moved on to other places. So I, there was a uh, luckily just. I was in the right place at the right time and I uh, showed up and they needed people to test the consoles so they were like hey do you know how to use the Neve? and I didn't but I said yes because we need to test every <laughs> single channel and every single part that cuz they'd reinstalled it and we need to mm. cuz it had been in storage for a year so I got paid to test the console and at the same time I taught myself how to use that console so that the first session that was booked there I was on the session and it was a big producer from uh America had come to produce an artist there, and I was the sort of engineer. And I had just learned that console literally the days before, testing all the parts and figuring it all out, and reading the manual and asking questions to people. Um, so I kind of, uh, yeah, I kind of snuck my way in. Um, <laughs> nice. And then they have an SSL well, there as well, which I also knew how to use. And yeah. So then I was, once I did those sessions, I was, I was, I was um, kind of part of the team. Wow. Fantastic. And it was, it's pretty rare because usually you have to intern, and, and I kind of skipped the. I skipped the. I did my time somewhere else, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's funny because yeah. I did you apply there and it. they didn't accept me. And now I, I came back as an engineer. So. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you played <Yeah>. that well. <laughs> yeah. Good on you. Good yeah. on you. Yeah. I took, I took the fantastic. long road. Yeah, okay. And uh, what's a week like uh, for a staff engineer at 301? You know, how does it start? How many days do you work? How long are your days? What, what do you do all day?
1: <clears throat> well, I guess the week doesn't really start or end because at a place like 301, it's pretty much open 24-7. So it, And I got a, a quick reputation for doing the late hip-hop sessions. It kind of was my... That was like my niche. You know, other guys did rock and jazz and Simon does the vocals. And I sort of found my niche as like the hip hop engineer. And I did a lot of the international. A lot of people don't want to do the international hip hop sessions because they're a real punish. These guys are often really mm. rude. They come in really late at night. They work a really long time. Um, it's crowded. It's noisy. They have the volume to 11. Um, oh, gee. So I did a bunch of those, and I guess like sometimes those you'll start at four p.m. in the afternoon, and you'll still be going at eight a.m. 8 the next morning. Sometimes, sometimes longer. Um, Whoa. So that's and they might have booked three days in a row. So you, you you go have a sleep, wake up, come back, do it again. Um, and that's usually on the weekend. So there's no real Monday to Friday for me, at least. Some some people um managed to st- work themselves a good schedule but i've always been down for anything and um if it's a good session i don't care what time it is if if we're making cool music and it's something that i think is going to be exciting i'll go whenever so i don't have any kids and <laughs> so i don't have to yeah, i was um, just wondering yeah. <laughs> so i've yeah good. that's okay. also, also another reason i i got to mm. do those things so
0: yeah. Look, you mentioned earlier that uh, early in your career, you got a bit burned out. It sounds like that could be a recipe for burnout again. How are you managing your strength these days? How, how do you self-monitor? When do, when do you know that it's time to have a break? And you know, how do you re- uh, recharge your batteries?
1: Uh, well, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, I was probably getting pretty burnt out from those sessions and I haven't done those for a while. I mean, COVID was a natural break. Because the studios all had to close pretty much, and even though we could go in, we were all isolated. There wasn't, as you know, there was no sessions for nearly two or three years, and definitely no international sessions. And um, so that was kind of a, a natural break. Otherwise, by now, I definitely would be, I think, pretty burnt out. But um, I think you just have to—you have to take breaks and just. Not do those all the time. It's, you can't do those forever. Yeah, of course. That's why I've always thought like I was. Young, I've I've I came into engineering quite young, and I I sort of climbed the ladder pretty quickly. So I'm 33 now, but you know when I started at 301, I was under in my 20s still, and um, I still had the the time and the energy and the freedom to be able to do those things. So I, my goal was to make the most of it and sort of make a name for myself, if you will while I had those freedoms. So I think that's really important because obviously as you grow older Smart move. and you have yeah. family, your your priorities will change and you don't want to do those things anymore. So yes. I've yeah, I've put all me. my hours in. <laughs> yeah. I've I've put in a lot yeah. of hours, like mm. and 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 now I, I'm I've actually noticed the last year I'm way more selective. I don't I'm a bit grumpy if I have to do something like that. Like I think twice about it, whereas I used to be like, "Yeah, just I don't care what time it is, book it, I'll do it." Whereas now I'm like, "I don't know if I want to do that." So, I think Fair Make the most of it while you while you've got the legs. Yeah, cool. Um, Excellent. Because you will get over, it, I think. So, so
0: how does it work? You just you know come in, pop up the studio in the morning. You know, is the client? Do they come in a bit later? Do you set up? Have you got help to set up microphones? Uh, do you do a lot of sessions with many inputs or you set hip-hop so that's often just a single microphone?
1: Okay, yeah. How complex are those sessions? Yeah, it really depends on the, the, the session obviously. I, I guess I'll just talk about like if you're doing an international hip-hop star or a pop star because I mean a lot of people know how bands record but maybe not everyone knows what you do when a, someone kind of famous comes in. The Most of the work is done actually preparing the room with catering and sort of things that they will want to eat and obviously I don't have to do that but we have a lot of staff at 301 so there'll be like a engineer which is usually me or whoever and then you'll have they'll have an assistant and then there might be a couple other staff just to help with um like runners basically because the the big international acts they don't come alone they come with a group of people they usually have security guards they have friends that they've known their whole life they have their managers they have all sorts of people in a circus following them around and those people ask you for things like they are the artist and you can't really say no to them either so you need to have if you're the engineer and you're by yourself you don't want them asking you to go get them some salmon at three o'clock in the morning (laughs) when you're trying to record the vocal yeah so you need like the the support staff is really important and at 301 that's what they do really well and that's why 301 does a lot of international like a lot of famous people come to 301 is because they have the capacity to run those sessions but yeah i guess for something like that it's it seems like it's just a vocal and but actually we go pretty in depth so i've learned from having a lot of experience doing this i set up a a microphone in the control room because sometimes they want to do it in the control room oh yeah i set up a microphone in the live room because they might want to set up they might want to do something in the live room um you never and there's no time to when they say, I want to record, it's now. It's not like, hey, give me a second while I set up another mic. Otherwise, they're going to be upset. Yeah. So it, everything needs to be done before they get there. Yep. Yeah. So usually we come in. I see. Mm. Yeah, we'll, we'll just set the mic up, set set those both mics up. We'll set up auxiliary cables. So I usually put several auxiliary cables all around the studio So in case they have multiple producers or friends who want to play songs. Sometimes they pass phones around and that person's like, hey, can I play this song? And he's further away. So... I'll have an auxiliary at the desk so in case the artist is sitting there and wants to plug their laptop in and play a beat or play a song they're working on, I'll have a long cable running to the couches and so if someone's sitting back there and they want to play a song and then all these things are just either on channels on the console or they're on externals. Actually, I usually put them on channels. I learned because in case they say, hey, can you just record that and I'll just I'll just sing over the top of it, even though it's it's rough and it's come off at a laptop. If it's on an external in the console, it's much harder to record. If you just put it mm. on a line input, I can flick that into into Pro Tools, and I can just grab that chorus or something, and then they can immediately just rap over it or sing over it. Nice, good um, thinking. Yeah. And these are things I've learned from making mistakes. Like I've done things where I didn't have any of that stuff set up, and I got yelled at, and I felt like a real idiot. So. Um but luckily by the time I got to 301 I'd I'd already learned all these hard lessons and um I was well prepared. So I think I did help good um a lot of people at 301 learn that stuff. Fantastic. Well wow. um that's some great experience. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. We usually try to keep the same mics as well. So if they if they change where they are in the if they wanna if they're in the control room or if they're in the live room, it's the same mic and mm. obviously put headphones in both places, copy the settings, things like that. Just make it easy for them so no matter where they go. It's easy. Like you want to record here, it's done. You want to record there, it's done. Yeah. Yeah, I um, see.
0: So and if somebody wants to record in the control room, you just turn the speakers off and put your put headphones on or or do you run the speakers quietly?
1: Uh that's up to them. But I try mm. I would personally try to turn the speakers off, but usually there's 15 people in yeah. the control room having a party and talking. Yeah, right. So but yeah, with right. that usually with <laughs> like with hip hop recording quality is I mean, I don't want to say for everyone, but a lot of times it's is not the priority (laughs) so yeah yeah. it's about the vibe um, i i try to i try to build a baffle or something in there and you know and just I, i will tell people to be quiet if i if i think it's appropriate but does
0: that affect your choice of microphone knowing that there are many people around would you then consider maybe a dynamic microphone or something that picks up less detail
1: uh no uh Usually you gotta use the best mics you got because yep. these people are pretty cluey. Like they've recorded in good studios before. Yep. Yeah, right. If you put a fifty seven up, they're gonna be like, What the hell is this? <laughs> yeah. Where's the Elam? Where's the eighty seven? Like they know what these yeah, yeah, they course. don't necessarily know what they are, but they know what they look like and they'll mm-hmm. they'll be like, What's that? That's not what I usually am used to. Yeah. And they'll hear yeah, it yeah. too. So mm-hmm. um Okay. You know. I'm yeah. Like obviously I go for the best mic we have. So makes your job easier.
0: Yeah, nice, nice. So you just mentioned the Neumann U87. Obviously, that's that's a very uh, prestigious microphone that's, yeah. uh, I guess, known as as the all-rounder. Uh, mm-hmm. You find it in many studios. But the Elam, is that the yeah. uh, 251? is uh, that's that the 251, the Telefunken? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. That's, that's that a real is, great mic. Yeah, and it's rare, and it's extremely expensive, isn't it?
1: Extremely expensive. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, oftentimes, people, they just, they expect that. They won't. Yeah. Yeah. So we have to rent if we don't have it. I'm mm. I mean, at 301. Um, we have an Elam 251, but we didn't for a long time. And we had to, we were renting it so often from another place that we eventually got one. Yeah, right. We had to because people were just, they just expect it. Same with the Sony C800. We don't have one at 301, but it's 50% of the time they ask for an Elam and the other 50% of the time they ask for a Sony C800. Yeah, right. So, okay. And that's, a, that's also equally as expensive and even brighter, which is almost impossible because the Elam is very bright too. But it is a very beautiful mic. sounds amazing. Does that cause uh, trouble with sibilance? Uh, I think it's de- dependent on the singer so, or the, yeah. who, who you're recording because if you those mics are bright, but you're usually going to make a mic that's not that bright brighter anyway. So it's going to mm-hmm. bring up the sibilance. So if you use an eighty-seven, it's not as bright, but you're probably going to boost some top end. And so, then, yeah, right. If that something is a sibilant and and they um, there's nothing you can do about, it, it's going to pull it down. So
0: mm. yeah, I see, I see. And um, do you apply any processing to a tape? Um,
1: I'm not a big uh, processor. Uh, I'll filter things on a microphone if there's a microphone filter. Um, but there's too many variables in sessions like that. They don't want you to be fiddling with stuff. They want to start recording literally yesterday. So yeah. if you're fiddling with the attack and the release times in on 1176 and saying, hey, can you just do one more take? They're going to get, they're not going to be happy. They just want to start recording. Mm. So um, got it. I, I prefer to th- for the client to just be super happy and not for me to. Um, be nerding out on compressor times. It's if you if you're working with someone who's a friend or a client that you're really comfortable with, then I'm more happy to ex- experiment. But if it's if it's someone I'm not sure about or I don't know, or, yep, um, I skip. And also, there's less noise and less potential issues. If you have the more things you patch in, the more problems you can have too. Yes, and of course. Big big, big studios like Three every studio in the world you can have glitches and and bugs and problems with gear. So some of these sessions are really high pressure and and there's a lot of expectation. So you want the smoothest and easiest way forward because yes, okay. If you make mm. engineers can't make mistakes. If you make a mistake, you're done. <laughs> like mm. there's no they, they, there's no forgiving. I don't I don't know why we don't we don't get a lot of forgiveness with mistakes. So <laughs> um, it's just it's like do your job, and if you do your job really well, you won't get a pat on the back. It's just you won't get in trouble. So <laughs> that's the compliment. So yeah, I, I, I try to skip stuff, and and oftentimes you know you don't want to risk. Um, if you don't know someone who you've reco- you're recording, I don't want to stick in eleven seventy six because you don't know what they're gonna do. You don't know what's gonna come out of their mouth. They could be whispering yep. and then start screaming, mm-hmm. um, and then you're just gonna distort the compressor or you know or just really crush crush the vocal and yeah I don't want to risk that so fair enough I'm a little bit conservative other guy other people are different but yeah that's just my approach it's it's just a simple trouble-free get it clean and you know you can always run it back through stuff later if you if you really want to
0: and and do you find that there's a difference in uh, well can we call it attitude maybe uh, between you know the high-end uh, clients and sort of like beginners or locals um, do you get more attitude from the high end clients or uh, what's the difference in flow if, if you work with uh, smaller acts um, or larger acts
1: yeah I mean I think attitude attitude's probably an individual thing but there's definitely extra pressure that comes when you are working with someone who's really well known it's pressure on you not just like you, I put pressure on myself as, as everyone probably does to do well but you know, you're worried about what this f- person's thinking of you. You're also w- worrying about the studio. Like if you let, if you don't do a good job, you're letting other people down, not just yourself. They'll, they'll think bad about where you're working. Mm. So, um, and there's also usually a lot of other people in the room. Um, and I've been fired from sessions from people who are quite famous. Oh, once or twice. And it sucks. It really sucks. And when you work with people who aren't as well known, it's definitely more relaxed. Mm. Um, You can still be, uh, like I still remember it being very stressful when I was younger and less experienced. But as you get more experienced, um, that stress goes down in in sessions kind of when you know what you're doing. But yeah, I, I, I think attitude, like you can have some people who have never released a song and can't barely sing and they'll have the worst attitude ever. And you can have a celebrity come in and they'll be the nicest person you've ever met. So... (laughs) <laughs> but generally speaking, that's not the case. <laughs> mm, I um, see. Yeah, I think c- celebrities are very, are usually used to getting what they want pretty quickly, and if you don't deliver on that, they can be really nice, and then they'll get a- pretty angry pretty quickly. I see. Um, yeah, yeah, right. That's, ju- that's just my experience. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm.
0: I don't want to ask for any names when it comes to you know con- confrontations or so in the studio. But yeah. uh, can you talk about some of the most enjoyable sessions you've uh, you've had? You know, just where things just went better than usual people you got, got along with really well
1: yeah uh, are you happy
0: to drop some names Ah, oh, there's been so many
1: yeah I, mean, I don't want to drop names just to sound like I'm dropping names I mean I do a lot of work with Delta Goodrum she's obviously one of my um, she's become one of my closest friends and I work with her pretty much every week and I have worked with her for three years and she's really lovely and down to earth <laughs> and we have a great working relationship and um I mean when I first worked for her I was really stressed, and I know that when she has to work it with other people they get really stressed working for her just because she's a celebrity but she is really nice and um I know that you know how she likes to be recorded and she has a lot of trust in me and um it it makes it's it, working with her is is just like working with a friend so it's always good um recording her and she's an amazing singer um she just does it's one of the few people who just does full takes and then oh wow you kind of finished yeah so she'll just do a few full takes I mean not always but oftentimes she'll just do three or four takes and it will make an easy little comp and it will be done yep um, ah, those
0: are my preferred sessions you know when yeah. the singers can do that but that's not always the case yep. and it doesn't suit everybody of course yeah okay
1: uh, and I've had some really awesome uh, rap sessions I think Kid Ink uh, he was really nice we had a really good session um uh, yeah. Sorry, I'm just drawing a blank. I've just, uh, but I've I've done lots okay. of cool stuff. Okay. Um, yeah.
0: Say so, and uh, when you produce these days, um, is everything literally recorded in a studio, or is it like you know? I guess in most budget studios, that musicians bring half the recordings um, from home. It was done on a DI box at home um, and yeah. record drums. Uh, is it is it a blend of home recording and studio production, or is it all done in a studio?
1: Uh definitely more of a blend I'd say. Mm. Um okay. but then I don't this last year I've been doing recordings pretty much everywhere except for studios. I've been traveling a lot and um I I recorded Delta on a cruise ship a couple of weeks ago. Um Delta sometimes doesn't like to come to the studio cuz she's busy, so we'll just record wherever she is and that's a separate challenge and probably a separate conversation. Um but yeah we'll we'll stick a mic up, try to deaden the room and and record and but i mean i did a I did a band the other day at three or one, and they'd had a bunch of backing tracks finished, and they wanted to bring some live drums to the to the demo and they brought a drummer in and we recorded drums and some guitars there so that's pretty common i think and then mm. with mixing like a lot of people send you things that have been produced and they think hey if you, you know if if you're hearing anything, add something. I don't do a lot of production, but I I'll add stuff if I think yeah to a mix. If I if I I always ask first and be like, hey, I think this could have better drums or something. You know, that'll make it almost like it'll help the mix be better. If I add a drum that does this, and if you don't like it, you know, just tell me. But he I'll try it. And if they say yes, then I'll throw something
0: in. And so, yeah. as as an engineer who's used to working in the very best studios uh, in yeah. the continent. <laughs> uh, yeah. Working with recordings that were done at home, I guess that's a bit of a mixed bag. You know, some of it is probably pretty nice, but you probably also have to deal with uh, relatively uh, problematic stuff at times. Yeah. What are your most um, common problems that you find? What, what are people struggling with most when they
1: record themselves at home? Oh, that's a really good question. Uh, well, a big one, obviously vocal recording, because that's what most people do at home. And I encourage... So many of my own clients to record themselves, because coming to a studio is expensive, uh, it's stressful, and it's a lot of pressure. Like sometimes, if you're not feeling the best, and you've booked a studio, you have to perform; otherwise, you're mm. you're not going to come away. So, I think everyone should learn to get Logic or Pro Tools or whatever, and you can get a pretty cheap mic these days and get a sound that's pretty good, if not really good, um, but. The problems i see most people have is either doing too much processing yourself trying like trying to do too much or just see. Sim- mm. simple things like your room's not dead enough and you have a terrible reflection and that's causing your microphone to have you know a really early reflective sort of frequency spikes and things like that or or mm. just roomy sounds and Yeah, right. Um, Or too close to the mic. Just, just people don't have the. Some people don't have the ear to hear that they're. So if you're really close to the mic like that, you're just obviously going to get a lot of proximity effect, and even if you cut it all the way, it's still. I don't know how to describe it, but yeah, yeah,
0: um, yeah. I I know exactly what you mean. You can't fully fix it later. Yeah, and there's also just.
1: Yeah, yeah. Mm. I think if you have a combination of a, a cheap condenser mic and a cheap interface, you get this really brittle sounding top end. Yeah, um, which I mean I shouldn't say this because, but I call it the road mic effect because it's <laughs> oftentimes I, I don't want to hate on road mics, but it oftentimes is people have a road mic at a cheaper one at home, and I mean I, I had a, I had a road K two. They make some good mics, but the cheaper ones mm. they have a very particular sounding top end, and when someone's recorded at home and you're trying to get a modern sounding pop sound and it's has a lot of brightness, you just if you push the brightness, it's harsh, and yeah. if you take away, it sounds dull. And it's there's no. Mm-hmm. I, I talk about this with some of my colleagues all the time. There's just no matter what you do, it doesn't sound good, and yep. it's not necessarily yeah, I know a road exactly mic.
0: Exactly what you're talking about. I'm, I've yeah, I call it the road mic effect, off. but that's yeah. a little harsh
1: yeah. to road, I think. But I mean, yeah. some people. I think it's a combination of rooms and the mic and you know mm-hmm. everything, but. Um, yeah. it, it, if i can share
0: a trick that i use there yeah um if if that's the problem i'm facing with and in particular if it's uh, brighter female voices that just makes mm. it exponentially uh, more more brittle but if i've got a brittle voice uh, i use uh Irk sounds uh soothe plugin oh yeah yeah, is uh, followed favorite. up by by uh, tape saturation. Ah, okay, nice. And between the two, it often sort of um, I, I find a compromise that I can live with that that works in the mix. Yeah, but, uh, it's it's different every single time, so it, it doesn't always work. You no, know? uh, I think I good have soothed too on that.
1: every single, every mm. nearly every single channel of my. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Right. On the highest setting. Well, that's a lot. <laughs> it's, You're it's right. It's always at um. It's always mm. at ultra four times sampling just to make me feel better mm. and um, It's yeah. Even if a vocal is perfectly recorded, I think well, why not just a little bit of just a little bit of sooth? Just it can't hurt. But um, yeah. yeah, It's a really it's a really great plugin. And it, actually, people ask me like oftentimes, oh, what can I do to sort of combat that effect at home? And I'm like, well, I use this plugin, but I don't know if you want to spend. That much money on that? Yeah, if it's gonna, not. It's not cheap. Because I mm. think if, if you if, if you used it too much, it 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 actually does make things sound worse. It's like a multi. I think so too. Yeah, it's it's yeah. like
0: a surgery knife that that thing. Yeah. So you can do a it's, lot of damage with that as well, as well as good. It. And I really believe in getting it right in the first place wherever possible.
1: Mm. Absolutely, yeah. that's that's definitely most important. Yeah, well said. <laughs>
0: Okay, so let me just sum that up. So, you know, the advice for re- musicians who record themselves at home that's definitely look at your reflections and how the room sounds and don't capture too much. And I guess a good tip could be to just do a little test recording and then just literally put on headphones and crank it a bit louder for a moment and just listen to how much room you hear.
1: That's that that's w- a really that would good be tip. A good good test, I guess. I reckon people you don't know. listen back enough to them, their own recordings. So, yeah, right. they might be focusing mm-hmm. on their pitch or the delivery which is normal for a vocal yep. but if if you want someone to be able to make it sound really professional later um, yeah. what's happening in the background is important because as that gets compressed and made louder and all mm. those little things are going to come up and, I and, see um, it makes other things hard like auto-tuning and stuff, if you have other noises and weird stuff Melodyne and auto-tuning is going to detect yeah. that and it's going to do that little thing that
0: makes mm, weird noises which can be terrible, yeah and then the second yeah. uh, piece of advice was to uh, sorry let me just collect my thoughts uh, was to you know work with the best microphone available and that's not necessarily the 150 dollar condenser <laughs> so uh, maybe you know to our listeners who produce themselves at home uh, if you do something critical maybe just ask around borrow a better microphone of a mate yeah or maybe uh, even go to a local studio if they've got something decent but
1: um, i mean you yeah, can rent so. the u87s for like 50 bucks a day or something Really? But also, I, I not, yeah. not where I live, unfortunately. Yeah. Ah, okay. Well, someone <laughs> might have one. Nice. You might know someone who has one yeah. and you can rent it. But yeah, I've, yeah, I've heard, point. I've yeah. literally heard a, a Neumann U forty seven, a vintage one, and shot it out with an SM seven, and the SM seven won. So, and that's happened not just to me, but other people I know. So, just because the mic's more expensive doesn't mean that it's better. And yeah, you but know, it also depends on the voice that. That yeah, you that's record. A, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, look, the SM
0: seven is a phenomenal microphone. I've got one in my studio and gets a lot of use. And uh, yeah. uh I've had quite a few situations where had a you know drum and bass player in one live room and a guitar player in another live room and percussions in another and then a piano player, and then the vocalist was literally in the control room playing guitar into a DI box singing into an SM seven, mm-hmm. which was meant to be a guy tech, but it sounded good enough and we just said, Wow. Well, there's a certain magic in the moment. You know, the 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 spirit of the recording was right, yeah. And we we used it. So and it's in the recording. That's also awesome. why not. You know, the yeah, SM7 is legendary. It's been used on many recordings. Uh, yeah, many professional recordings, like Metallica, Michael Jackson, and we could keep on going. Phenomenal yep. mic.
1: And mm. it's going to pick up less room sound if you're recording at home too. Which is really exactly annoying. exactly. Yep. And
0: pretty much that's the reason why I set it up in the control room. So that I wouldn't you know, capture uh, the you know people talking and breathing and so on. Yeah, nice. Nice. That's some yeah. really good advice, Tom. That's yeah. some really good advice. So look, um, let's go back to other things that we, that you know musicians can learn from from your experience. And you know okay. musicianship is, is of course one thing. but what about preparing instruments for recording session? Um, have you come across any, uh, anything you want to suggest to our, our listeners? To prepare themselves, for uh, yeah, for a recording session to get the most out of it.
1: That's such a good point. I think it's such an undervalued um, part of the process. The most important thing, as as you know, and most engineers know, is the is the what you're recording. If you have a guitar that's out of tune, it doesn't matter if you use the best stuff. It's going to be out of tune later it, when you record it. Yeah. So, I, I mean, like, get you get, like, don't be afraid to. Get your guitars set up by a professional. It sounds so much better. I mean, I just took my bass of the day to someone in Sydney, and I, you sometimes even forget how good it can sound when it's been properly set up. Um, if you do that before you record, you're you're already ninety percent of the way there to having a better sound than most people, mm. um, and that's going to make your engineer super happy. And I mean, you don't. It's it's weird. Engineers are. It's like we're fighting to get sometimes musicians to you know tune the guitar or change the strings so that we can get a better but actually as a musician it's it's your sound that you should want to be the best that it can be. So you should come with you know fresh strings or if I mean if if that's the sound you want or or and make sure your intonation's sorted out if you have a guitar. And for drums, I think it's it's unbelievable to me how many times people have old skins on their drum kit and they want to sound like a modern band. And like, so, but the, yeah. the skins are barely they're barely hanging in there, and I mean, mm. if you if you hear the sound of freshly changed drum skins, it's just it's it's yeah. night it's and a day world difference, for difference. It's yeah. just it's no EQ in the and, world can make up the yeah. difference. It's yeah. just it's it's, um, it's mm. and, and it's, it's the mm. same with any guitar strings. And mm. I mean, it doesn't happen very often, but the best thing to do is is have a drum tech. You know, I mean, I haven't been in many sessions where that's happened, but I know. Like if you do a big session in America, there's the Drum Doctor. He, I know. I know Delta did one. Her last album, she went to Sunset Sound or one of those big studios, and they just spent four days just getting the drums to sound perfect. <laughs> and it's like four days. Whoa! I think something like that. I, I could be exaggerating. Oh gee. I wasn't there. But yeah, you know, they, right. they would. They they had twenty drum kits or however many, and they had them all tuned and ready to go. So it's like, oh, this song, we want more of this kind of sound. So. We'll use and it's almost because I always say that my my friends and colleagues we all put the mics kind of in the same place on if you let's just take drums or guitars like if it's a guitar amp you're putting the mic pretty much in front of the cone or if it's a drum kit you're kind of putting overheads up and mic on the snare mic on the kick I mean people everyone does something slightly different but there's a general we yeah. all kind of do the same the difference is between a good sound and a bad sound is what the instrument and the the playing sounds like. So, I mean, if you have those things taken care of, you just well, have to put it. the mics up. You yeah. have to put the mics up kind of where everybody else does it. Um, and you've already got a better sound than most people. And then, you know, put a couple weird things around to make it interesting, put a guitar pedal on a, on a drum kit or something and make it sound crunchy. But, you know, it, I, I, yeah, that, that to me is when someone would, there's session drummers who are really good at tuning and, when they come in, you know it's going to be a good day. Um, and some of the best drummers in the world can't tune their drums and and even though they play amazingly, they don't record well because the kit doesn't sound good. Mm. Um, so, you know, I think, yeah, being prepared for your session is, is super important. Obviously, knowing what you're playing to save time is, is also really important, but you'd be surprised how many people don't know what they're doing before they come to a session, even at 301, which is on the, on the expensive side or they haven't practiced, they just assume they're going to show up and, and kill it and then they realize, wait, I I have no idea what I'm doing and before you know it, eight hours flies oh, by and you, yeah, you've just right. wasted thousands of dollars. And, and okay. I don't like that either. I feel terrible. Mm. I don't know why. I feel really guilty. Um, so I have sometimes stopped people and said, hey, you're not ready. I'm going to stop the session now and you can have six hours credit come back when you've practiced. Um, because I don't want to sit there for six more hours and watch you struggle and then mm. beat yourself up after because you didn't do a good job um, and then waste your yeah. money. I also feel guilty because it's it's a team. It, it, whoever mm. you're recording and you... It's a team effort to, to, to get the that's a the difficult victory. conversation to have, yeah. It is difficult, but, but uh, it's better than I, I guess the pain being, later. Being
0: honest there is actually serves the musicians best if that's what needs to be said. But uh, does that happen often that people arrive mm. unprepared?
1: Not very often. Not very mm. often. Oh, but, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. It does, but it does happen. And um, mm. I just it's interesting that you brought up the preparation thing. I do think it's really important and it doesn't get talked about very much. So yeah, I think it's a really said. good point. Yeah. and uh, maybe sort of
0: maybe one of the last questions but you've worked with so many people very ex- experienced uh, but also I guess some younger uh, musicians did you find any common let me call it character traits that all the successful people have or is there anything that you can't, can point your finger at any, any work ethics or demeanors that, uh, that make successful um, musicians or that they have in common
1: I think most people who are very successful have a really strong work ethic and they also have uh, a lot of confidence in themselves. Mm. Um, Even if that confidence is somewhat misplaced, confidence is still, you know, if you don't, if you don't back yourself in a a recording studio, you're not going to deliver a performance that's convincing to people that, you know, you can hear when someone's kind of nervous and a little shaky so i think people who are really successful i mean I mean, success breeds confidence so it's easier for people who are already successful to be confident yeah um but you know i think if you look at newer artists the people who i feel um do better in studio situations already have the confidence of someone who's really successful like they don't even mm. think that they're new it, it, but it's not it's not arrogance it's just like i'm I'm really confident in what I'm doing. I'm I have talent, I have skill, and I'm going to kill it today. And then they go and just deliver and it's, you know, and that gives you the best takes. That's a great attitude to have. Thank you. Yeah.
0: It's great so. works to finish up on. Uh, if one of our <laughs> listeners wants to find out more about you, maybe wants to book you for a session, where can we direct them to?
1: Uh, you can check out the 301 website i'm i'm really terrible at promoting myself uh, i have instagram <laughs> of course i'm i barely I'm going post to put anything.
0: The, the link in the show notes of course yeah are in, on instagram as well i'm on Would Instagram, you like me to yeah
1: put that in the show notes as well Yeah, sure please i'll, I'll share the, of the podcast episode as well and okay, yeah you can so book me at um three 301 website um i just but if you have any, i always say if people have questions about anything they can message me on instagram i mean i don't do master classes or do these teaching things but because i always say if you have a question just ask me i mean if you want me to listen to Mm. your song i'll i'll listen to it if i have time that that's um, a really i love just yeah so yeah it's 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 you know hopefully i can learn something as well so
0: (laughs) i love it love it that's a great attitude to have tom thank you so much for speaking to me uh, today and for sharing all your wisdom i really appreciate that Thank you. It's
1: really my pleasure, Jan. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to see you again. Awesome to speak to you. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: Wow. This was Mr. Tom Garnett of Studios 301 on the Production Talk podcast. Thank you, Tom. I really enjoyed this chat. It's so good to see you again, mate. Also, this is the last episode of the year 2022. Next time I speak to you will be in 2023. So I hope you all have a fantastic new year. Hopefully this will be a better year for everyone who listens to the podcast. If you want to find out more about Tom and what he offers at Studio 301 in Sydney, go to the show notes, scroll down, and all the links are there to social profiles and of course to Tom's webpage on the Studios 301 website. However, if you want to reach out to me, you can of course do so via my website mixartist.com.au where I offer mixdown services for everybody worldwide who needs a little bit of help getting their mix across the finish line, and of course we also offers amazing studio recording services in the northern rivers in the Byron Shire. So if you have any projects coming up for the next year and you're based in this area, if you need to record, please reach out to me. There's a contact form on my website and I would love to hear from you. That's all for this year. You have a fantastic time. I shall speak to you on the other side. Bye for now.